world-class athletes, great coaches, what do they do when they're at their best? We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. We're going to get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line. Now you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. Got a good one for you today. Uh, A couple points uh, before we get started, though. So the tickets for the private event discussing careers in coaching, kind of navigating uh, different challenges within strength and conditioning from a professional standpoint, whether that's getting the job, keeping the job, creating options for yourself beyond the job, they are sold out. But on the newsletter, we are actually going to be recording this event We're going to be making it available to everybody. We'll make it available to the public. It's going to come out. We're we're thinking spring 2019. Um, And if you want to be notified uh, as to when that comes out, how you can get it, it's going to include audio, video, handouts, the entire gamut. You're going to hear from not only myself, but folks like Andrea Hootie and other strength coaches in both the team and private sector that have had to navigate a wide range of, of challenges throughout their career. And again, not only in the strength and conditioning side of things, but when we talk about professionalism, we're talking about everything that goes into that, whether they needed to learn more about negotiating, whether they needed to learn about how to navigate issues that you know Matt and I are going to talk about today, where you know your resume is not always enough, proper networking, how to give back at a higher level, and how to just create options where you may not be able to achieve true work-life balance, but you can find work-life fusion. So whether you've done, whether you're in the game one year or you're going on 20, 30 years and you've, you've had issues with feeling stuck, stagnant, or anything related to your career, uh, you know, this is going to be an awesome resource. We're going to make it available through our newsletter first and foremost. So again, that sign up will be available in the show notes. Uh, I, I love that you guys shoot a lot of DMs and everything, but I will not always see those DMs. So please, please, please check the show notes or email team at artofcoaching.com. Again, team at artofcoaching.com and let them know you want to be added to the newsletter. We will get that locked in for you. All right. So getting into today's episode, this one's a special one for me. I have my good friend and former colleague, Matt Birch, a little background, Matt and I first met at, uh, at Southern Illinois University. I'll let him tell that story, um, but he's somebody that's very near and dear to my heart. And now Matt has what I believe to be one of the best jobs in strength and conditioning. And that's not said tongue in cheek. That's not said lightly. There are a lot of people that have some really unique roles in our field, but I believe Matt has one of the best jobs. My wife has told me several times that if his job ever became available, I have no choice. We're moving back to, to Nebraska and uh, she's taking that job or doing whatever she can there. Um, so Matt, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, Matt's, Matt's got his seductive voice on today. Don't be fooled, Matt. 
Matt will tell you a little bit about his strength and conditioning experience. Matt, can you go into your background? We try to keep this just for the listeners so we can get to the meat of it. We try to keep it to a minute, minute and a half. You know, don't sell yourself short by any means, right. but how would you describe the crux of what you do and how you got there? Um, well, currently I am one of two district sports performance coaches for LPS. That's Lincoln Public Schools out here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And essentially, I mean, I'm a high school strength coach. Uh, you mentioned how we met. Um, I actually think it's kind of a fun story. But uh, like probably a lot of young strength coaches out there, I shot about 60, 70 emails to a bunch of coaches around and I got one response. And that was from a guy named Scott Charland at SLU University at the time. And uh, he essentially hit me up saying, I've got a clinic. Come on out. It's 50 bucks, you know, blah, blah. He was just trying to get some money out of me. Well, showed up, had no idea what to expect. Um, and I'm thinking, hey, this could be a job interview. So I show up to my first strength and conditioning clinic in a suit and tie. Um, and uh, interesting story. Uh, like a full, a full yeah. suit and tie that was about 12 sizes too big for you. <laughs> That's right. It was my, it was my father's <laughs> suit and tie. So I, I did not have one at the time. Um, and I was uh, Imagine putting... Imagine putting a suit that maybe would fit on Vince McMahon, like fully roided up Vince McMahon on one of the anatomy and physiology skeletons that you used to find in your lab. Now, now don't get it twisted. Matt doesn't look like that now, but then, I mean, yeah, I, I was pretty skinny, status. but uh, I, I was pretty embarrassed because everybody just kept on looking at me. And so I was going to go in the bathroom and change because I did bring a change of clothes because I didn't know what to expect. And uh, John Torrine, who was the strength coach for the Indianapolis coach at the time, was in, in there in the bathroom with me. I won't go into more detail, but, uh, he saw me starting to change and he looked at me and he goes, what are you doing? And he's like, and I was like, well, you know, everybody's kind of looking at me funny. So I'm going to change. He goes, son, do not change. He goes back go back out there with your head held high. So I did. And he complimented me several times for the rest of that. But that was, uh, a young Brett Bartholomew just happened to be at that uh, clinic that day. And on their way out, Jared Neslin and Brett on their way out, uh, I caught them and said, hey, you know, I go to Southern Illinois. I wouldn't mind swinging by. And they said, sure, come on by starting next Monday. So it's kind of how we met. So, Matt, that's an awesome that's a funny recap, you know, and and, uh, something I'll never forget. But you definitely did sell yourself short. You're not just a high school strength coach. You went into a unique role and position and you had to create somewhat or not even order out of chaos. Like there wasn't a whole lot of structure in regards to kind of everything that you've built. So I am going to ask you about that because I think that people really would love hearing about some of the managerial and orchestra, like the way you had to orchestrate things, whether it was even manuals or you created issues you had to solve, finding out ways to support um, all the high schools in the Lincoln area, some of which, you know, weren't doing any kind of organized strength and conditioning at all. Um, but the part that Matt didn't talk about there is Matt came down to Southern Illinois, was a volunteer intern, whatever you want to call it, whatever the politically correct term is right now. And, you know, I, I, I liked Matt. So did, so did uh, my coworker, Ricardo Ramirez, awesome guy. You know, Matt was raw at the time. I think he also had an earring. Which which year was that in, Matt? Just so everybody can get a full I, uh, I did not have an earring, but I was I was 18 years old at the time. So I, I had zero social skills whatsoever. You know? Zero social skills. I thought I remembered an earring. We're going to throw that one out to Ricardo. Um, but anyway, I remember at the time, you know, we were going into fall or winter break. And Jared was like, mm, I think we're getting rid of the new guy. You know, we're like, why? And he's like, 
just quiet kind of weirds me out. We're like, no, man, like he sits in the office with us. And that little graduate assistant office was like nothing. You could hear each other like breathe. You could hear the hum of like, I talk about it in my book, Conscious Coaching. I say that room is so small. You would have had to change. You would have had to leave it to even change your mind. Um, but Matt showed a lot of promise. Like he, he asked interesting questions. You didn't always know where he was going with it or what he was wondering, but he asked really interesting questions. You could tell that he cared about the athletes. He'd actually do the programs um, when we'd put him in tough situations or just kind of bust his balls. He would never really kind of just like curl up. He understood that in strength coach uh, in the strength coach world, they only uh, don't like you if they don't talk to you. Um, but if they give you a hard time, you know, that's usually a good thing. So Matt did an awesome job. After I left SIU, ended up having uh, a great tenure there under Clayton McLeod um, and as a special job now. So, Matt, now, you know, we know you're humble. We appreciate that. All, all coaches kind of sell themselves short, which actually is why a lot of us get put into tough situations to begin with, because there's one thing to be humble, uh, another thing to kind of devalue what you're doing. So now that you've kind of got that across, can you tell them a little bit more about the situation you went into at Lincoln Public Schools and specifically why the, I think this is important is because just this morning, and it's not special this morning, but the, for the last six, 12 months, I get emails from young coaches that say, hey, nobody's answering my, nobody's getting back to me on my resumes. Nobody's getting back to me on this. Like, how am I supposed to get on this field? Or, you know, recently I got one from a kid that was like, I did an internship with a pro team and afterwards I didn't even get consideration for a job. Now, part of that's naivete. Nobody listening should think that one or two internships and you're owed a job your own development, no doubt. People should be mentoring you. People should be helping you along. But like, you're not owed a job, right? Like this, this game's not that easy. And so, Matt, can you tell us why you think more coaches should be creative and and look outside of pro college? Like, what are they missing the boat on, and how is it probably hurting them in their career, if at all? Yeah. Uh, well, I was definitely one of those people. Uh, I finished up my graduate assistantship at Southern Illinois. And uh, I had done no outreach whatsoever. I had done multiple internships. Um, you know, I had a various amount of experience, but it wasn't, you know, a holistic experience because I just thought... And what do you mean by that? Just so people have a clear idea what they mean. Well, I, uh, I wasn't, you know, again, I think I was a little bit younger and I don't think that I had the social intelligence to know, like I had to keep up with the people that I had met at all these internships. And I just kind of expected, like you said, that, oh, you know, I'll throw all these people's names on my resume and voila, I'd get a job. And that's really unfair because Cleet had already given me so much and he was, I mean, he was pretty much my only lifeline. So after I finished up my graduate assistantship, I popped on out to the University of Nebraska to work with their football team out there as an intern. And, uh, you know, the decision to go into the high school after a few months there, like, obviously I wanted to stay in college. You know, I thought maybe I was a little bit too good to go down at the high school. Especially um, a place like Nebraska. I mean, you know, and, and people will think I'm biased cause I'm from Omaha. I grew up in the shadow of Husker power, but that's palatial, right? Like I, I, I think you and I have both seen a fair amount of programs. Have you ever seen a weight room that's nicer than that, even in the SEC and, and the things that they post? Have you ever seen a nicer weight room? No, I mean, it was definitely a step up. And, you know, you know, I even in talent, you know, we had kids that were 300 pounds plus doing backflips, you know, just for fun. And I was like, OK, that I know I know I'm in a big, big league here. Um, but, you know, like, you know, going back to the decision to go into the high school is like, 
I had so many questions. Could, could I come back into college at some point if I wanted to? Like, that was a fear of mine. I know you've talked about that kind of going into the private sector, too, was, you know, everybody's kept telling me, well, if you, if you take this job, you, you're going to be stuck there. Um, you know, what other people would think of me, you know, uh, for some reason, I thought that there was this hierarchy of, you know, high school coaches are, you know, the worst coaches out there. And then college coaches are a little bit better. And then you have your professional coaches, which are the best. And so I was thinking, oh man, am I kind of demeaning myself? What will my, not only my professional friends think, but what would my family think? You know, they're used to hearing me, you know, talk about Southern Illinois men's basketball or UNL football, you know, things like that. Would they, would they still hold me with the same regard? So I had some identity, identity crisis, but I was actually working at a movie theater um, that's kind of how we were making my, our money. My wife, Anastasia, she, she's been awesome through the whole thing. She was working a couple of jobs to make ends meet. And uh, that movie theater. This is all why you were volunteering at Nebraska, right? Yes, correct. And so that movie theater is really where I discovered that I could work with high school kids because I was already working with high school kids. And I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of those kids, you know, even at the movie theater, were asking me questions about not necessarily training, but about anything. And I was kind of there, you know, even though that I probably shouldn't have been considering the state I was in, you know, my graduate degree and all this other stuff. And I'm working at a movie theater, but, um, you know, they were asking me life advice and I just, you know, made some good friends there. And, you know, once, once the uh, job came about, I had a conversation with Mark and Mark was kind of like, this is Mark Phillip. Yeah. Can you tell me who Mark is? Yeah, Mark was the uh, head football strength coach at UNL at the time. He's now down at USC as an assistant. But uh, <laughs> we had a conversation. He's like, you know, you should do it. And I was like, all right, let's let's get it done. And so um, I was like most others that were in that situation. And I would send out, you know, 60 plus resumes a year. Um, forgetting to change the name on some of them, you know, realizing after, cause I was just shooting out so many, but this time I was like, you know, no more, like I am, we're going to go out and get this job. And so uh, a couple of things I did for one, I reached out to the, <laughs> to the actual Lincoln public schools office. And I said, you know, asking questions about the job before they even know who I was or like, who is this kid asking questions? I'm not sure they even knew the answers to some of the questions that I were asking. Cause, cause what was the title of the job? I mean, at the beginning, I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I know you said you were a high school strength coach, but what was the title of the job? Uh, yeah. So they were, there's actually two positions and they were looking for uh, co-district head strength and conditioning coaches. So it wasn't like a PE position or anything like that. It was, they wanted to bring people in to kind of oversee um, all of the training for Lincoln public schools. And we have six high schools that are all 2000 plus kids. Um, right. And that's, that. that's what I think. I hope everybody hears that. Like, overseeing the training of six high schools of 2000 plus kids. Like you're going to tell me that that's not an important job. And I'm, I'm going to cut you off just for one moment because I think, you know, a lot of these episodes aren't just meant to be geared towards strength and conditioning coaches. So this goes to anybody looking for a job, but it is a case study, but I hammer these things home on the first, you know, aspects of the first five to 10 episodes, because it is just something people need to get locked into their mind. The best strength coaches are not in the NFL. They're not, or the NBA or MLB. There's very good strength coaches there without question. But don't confuse, just like you would say that just because somebody's a high-level athlete doesn't make them a high-level trainee in regards to their weight room experience. 
do not keep thinking that the acronym or the position like that, that prestige is all of a sudden assumed. This is a role that many of you listening, if you're struggling to have a job, should kill to be able to do. That's not a recruiting thing. I don't get a kickback from that. I want you to understand that every day, again, I'm, I'm hammered and, and many other coaches are that say, hey, coach, what advice do you have for young strength coaches? What can we as coaches do to increase our chances of becoming a leader in the industry? What is something you think most don't realize about the profession uh, or do enough of in general? Uh, all these things. What you can do to increase your chances of being a leader in the industry is, is take roles like this. Take roles where you are put in a position where you now have 12,000, possibly like a total of 12,000 kids. And granted, they're not all going to be involved in sports or strength training or what have you, but you're looking at such a huge scope. That's where you're learning how to be a manager. There's a reason they talk about the best CEOs. Many of the best CEOs in major companies started in the mailroom. That's not a colloquialism, right? Like a lot of them started in the mailroom or the ground level. But Matt, would you agree it's a little bit problematic now that like we have coaches that again think like, yeah, I've done internships. Yeah, I've read super training. Yeah, I've sent out resumes. Where's my job at? Where's my job? That's not it. Am I off? Yeah. And, and no, and to echo your statements, like the problems that we saw at, you know, Nebraska, because we did have some while we were there. And then, you know, even in some of my internships, I got to work with a few pro guys, you know, never as the front runner, but as somebody that was uh, observing, uh, the problems are similar and they're all people problems, you know, which is why, you know, the art of coaching is so important because I mean, you know, the human behavior here is the issue, you know? Uh, and so that's, that's one of the first glaring realities that hit me whenever I took this job, I was like, you know, I couldn't be in the weight room every day training the kids. Like I had to work with people that would be overseeing what I gave them to help train the kids and that. And did you have a lot of administrative responsibilities as well too? Yeah. I mean, we had to go through and we had to, um, you know, identify everything because we had, we had, they already had a couple of lawsuits with some equipment that broke down. And so that's one of the first things that we did is we had to go through and we, we, uh, itemized every single piece of equipment that we had. Uh, we've up since we've upgraded all six of our weight rooms and they're all six now better equipped than what we had at Southern Illinois. And that's in terms of just sure, sheer volume of kids that we can push through there. So, you know, you know, budget time management, you know, I think we have 122 head sport coaches. We have 12 uh, athletic trainers and, you know, six athletic directors that we kind of work with on a daily basis. So. And, and what, when you found that you were dealing you know, the, the people problems that you had to deal with. And, and now all of a sudden you're not, let me reframe this. I think that we have an obsession in our field with people being like, you know, trying to promote the in the trenches lifestyle. Like they're going to be able to coach six, eight, 10 groups, you know, until they're 60 years old. Um, you know, people want to act like real coaching. You have to live and die in the trenches in perpetuity. I would argue that if you want to continue to make a, a, a career in this field, you better learn the management and the administrative skills as well. Right. Like, yeah, enjoy the years for sure. Enjoy the years where you're on the floor all the time. You're writing programs. You don't have to answer a whole lot of emails or what have you. But if you want to move forward as a coach and more importantly, as a professional, you're going to have to get good at those things. So what were some administrative skills that you really struggled with at first? Like where you're like, uh, I'm a strength coach. Like, am I really having to do this right now? But then now 
after doing the job for how many years? How many years have you been there? Uh, I will be third year here, December 4th. So, okay. So what was some, what was something that you looked at at first administratively or situationally where you're like, I can't believe I have to deal with this, but now you're like, no, this is critical. This is actually a huge investment in my, uh, my professional skill set. Yeah. Uh, one of the first big glaring things for me was, is that, you know, uh, not everybody's passionate about the same thing or was passionate about what I was passionate about. And that was training. You know, I, I was working with coaches that, you know, had a wife and three kids and, you know, all this other stuff and that their job performance wasn't necessarily dictated by how well they were doing either. So there was no necessarily bottom line. It was, you know, holy cow, like some of these coaches at the high school level, they, they kind of want to go home at the end of the day, you know what I mean? And so trying to work with them and say, Hey, look, I know that you're a basketball coach, for instance, and you know that basketball is important, but trying to get them to understand that training truly is important. And it's a, it's worthy of them investing some of their time, you know, cause it, again, it wasn't always me that was going to be there. It would be easy for me to say, yeah, you just go home and I'll take the kids. But with working with different sites, I, I can't necessarily always do that. And so that was a task that I was like, man, like, I'm, I was not ready to try and sell this so hard. And so uh, that was that was probably the first thing that, that really hit me. So I know you've gone through the bought-in course. Were there any kind of communication tactics or anything in particular that helped you during that time frame? I mean, as opposed to, you know, just saying, hey, this is important. It helps the kids, which, you know, in the course we talk about is rational persuasion or even a personal appeal. Uh, you know, what would... What do you think was most beneficial from an influence tactic to get these guys to see what you were trying to accomplish there and how it was going to benefit the greater good? How did you get them bought in? Um, yeah, so uh, time and investment. So a lot of, a lot of, I, again, I, you know, I was woefully unprepared because I thought I was going to come in and I was going to be, you know, somebody on a white horse and say, hey, here's a savior. You guys have been training, you know, like crap. Blow their mind with your training knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And, um, there's some people who are like, you know, I've been coaching longer than you've been alive. I'm not, I'm not an old man by any means, but some of these coaches have been around for a long time. And they, one of the things that really helped me was, you know, try to align myself and kind of see, you know, from their point of view and spend a little bit of time trying to learn first what they have going on, establish a little bit of trust there. And then maybe I can start to make some suggestions from the inside out rather than the outside in. Yeah, I think that's an important thing because when you don't ask questions, when you don't get an idea of what they're doing before, you've already you've already essentially struck out. I think it was, you know, there was a novelist named Thomas Berger or Berger. I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, but, you know, he was a big believer in that the art and science of asking questions is a source of all knowledge. But like you said, I remember when I was a young strength coach, I felt like, oh man, if I get this job or that job, I can't wait to kick down the doors and like completely reinvigorate the place with my energy and change everything. And that's not what it's about. And I've talked about that before on this podcast. You talked about a couple of things that I want to highlight. So one, you know, when when somebody asks what they wish they would have known more about, you know, the profession before getting started, it becomes really easy to, you know, mention the things that we do know about, like the long hours, the highly variable pay lack of job security, the demands of life outside of work. But I don't think a lot of people really talk about the value in taking risk, which is certainly something that you did. I think that a lot of young coaches, and again, young coaches, I'm not referring to as age. It's, it's somebody that is just trying to break into the field, you know, anything like that. I, I think a lot of the primary causes of symptoms that coaches really deal with 
comes down to people not taking enough risks and not just being creative. You know, it's easy to say, well, I've done my part. Like I sent out a resume. It's not, you know, like think about the creators of Airbnb. And I heard about this story the other day. I think it's phenomenal. The folks that created Airbnb, I mean, first of all, they were in their 20s. It was a complete like accident, essentially. Like there were there were tech and design conferences that were coming into San Francisco and, you know, all these hotels were selling out. So one day, one of the the creators, and I'm kind of squeezing this in because I don't want to put anybody to sleep. Um, but one of the creators of Airbnb ultimately was like, you know, told his friend, like, listen, like I can probably host people at my house on an air mattress, hence Airbnb. And we could charge for it and it would help him pay rent because their rent had just gone up in the area. And anybody that lives in San Francisco can appreciate what that might cost. He's like, I can help somebody out. So all of a sudden, these strangers are staying with him. You know, and they're, they're trying to scale this business. They're still in their 20s. They, they create a website and it's not really working out for them. Uh, I think they had achieved, I mean, racked up a pretty significant amount of debt. To give you an idea of the debt they racked up, the guy said that they had one of those um, books where you normally put collector's baseball cards in, right? With the sleeves that you can put the, uh, mm-hmm. the card into, but that was filled with credit cards. And they would literally go through maxing out credit cards so they could build a new web platform, so they could do this, so they could do that to try to build the company, right? So they're racking up debt. And the guy's like, I don't know how we're going to get out of this. Like, nobody knows how to use the site. We're trying to figure this out. You know, what else can we do? So they get the idea, as the story is told at least, to um, they hear that the Democratic National Convention is coming into town. And this isn't a political thing. This is just how the story is, right? So um, they go out and they decide, one of them's like, you know, we're going to make our own cereal. And they're like, what? Like, you're going to make your own cereal? What are you talking about? He's like, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to take cereal out of the stores and we are going to put it in customized packaging. So what they did is they took like, I think it was Obama and McCain that were out there. So they made like this box, a cereal box. It was called Obama O's and like Captain McCain's. And they put literally other cereal in that box And they only had enough money to create like 500 of these boxes. And they sat outside the Democratic National Convention selling these quote unquote limited edition boxes of cereal for $40 a pop. Mm -hmm. And all of them sold out. And they were able to make enough money to get out of debt. And eventually that led to a meeting with Y Combinator. And eventually that led to advice that completely transcended you know, what they were doing or transformed what they were doing and help them really create and expand and, and, and do Airbnb, which is, is I think valued it in the billions now. Don't quote me on that, but if not the billions, the hundreds of millions for sure. And my point is this, if people can figure that out, why do we have strength coaches saying, I sent resumes out, I've done internships. I don't have a job. It's the world's fault. Like, so when I give people the solutions and I don't have all the answers, but like, I, you know, I, I, there's so much more you guys got to do, you know, one, you have to look in the right places. And that's why I brought Matt on today. You cannot just look at, oh, division one university, or, you know, if you're, if you're abroad, you know, the top, uh, the top club in your area or pro team, and then cry that you're not getting that job. In the meantime, there are tons of private sector opportunities, high school opportunities, there are countless ways in which you can coach. Two, you can also go visit these people, you know, like go, if they're in the area, I guarantee you there's colleges and, and high schools and teams in your area that would love your help. And if somebody hasn't gotten back to you, here's the hint. They probably have not seen your resume. Something I've talked about before on this podcast. It's something I'll keep talking about because I think coaches have to have it hit over the head. They are likely not seeing your resume. Two, three really, 
the resume doesn't show them anything about you. And this is where I'm going to be critical about people that are, you know, blabbing on about the, oh, social media has ruined the world. Social media has done this. Here's a real story. I got reached out to by a director of performance for a pro team. I'm not going to get into what sport. I'm not going to talk about it, any of that, because I'm going to respect their privacy. And they said, hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z in a strength coach. Do you know anybody? And I remember like, you know, he asked me about some folks. I didn't really know those individuals. So I go to social media or I try to look up, you know, just to see some examples of what they've done. And of course, these are people that aren't on social media in any capacity. Maybe they have a Facebook account. So you can't see examples of their work. All you can do is kind of read their bio. And I'm like, what a wasted opportunity. What a wasted opportunity when like you could put examples of your coaching, real examples, not manicured examples, but you could put real examples of your coaching either on social media or on a private Vimeo page or something, or even a professional website, you know, and, and that is a quick way that let's say you send somebody a resume. All right. Now you can also link examples of your coaching. And it doesn't matter if your coaching is world-class by their standards. What matters is you're showing them how you communicate, how you would teach anything from a hand clean to an agility or change of direction drill, how you teach speed mechanics. You're showing them something. I always tell people on this, you know, write this down. Like if you guys are listening to this, I don't, I wouldn't even accept an intern or anything unless you send me two to three videos. Usually it's six because I know most people aren't going to send one, let alone six. I want three weight room examples, three on the field examples. I could care less if you're coaching somebody else or just talking to the camera. And then I want a two minute improv video. And this I've gotten yelled at. One coach on social media blew me up on this. But the improv video, I, I, there's no rules. It's just like, yo, this is two minutes. You can tell a joke. You can uh, tell a story. You can do whatever you want. Like it's, it's improv. That means it's your time. But I want to see your personality and creativity. And what I found is asking for these things, not just a resume, but four to six videos and then a two minute improv weeds out 96 to 97% of candidates because they don't do it. It's too much work. Eric Cressy has another example where I think uh, that, you know, they have to send everything in one PDF and it's even highlighted in red or something to that effect. And it weeds out the vast majority. So my point is, is like, don't limit your options. Two, think outside the box. Uh, visibility, yeah, it doesn't mean viability, but like if, if nobody can see examples of your coaching, don't expect your piece of paper and the pile of 30 papers to just sing to them. Don't expect that. Um, you know, you, you've got to promote yourself to some degree with a strong application or digital presence because that's the landscape we live in, whether you, whether you like that or not. And then Matt, I want to ask you about this in particular. How did you prepare for interviews? Because I think that's something else that coaches don't really do. I think coaches kind of send their resume in, they hope for the best. And maybe the only way they prepare for interviews is to review their, like their training programs, which I did, by the way, I remember when I went and interviewed at API, I had a full booklet of strength, a year's worth of strength and conditioning for men's and women's tennis to show them as an example. But how do you prepare for interviews or what are some other things that you think people could do aside from what I mentioned to really stand out in a crowded job market where a resume is not enough? Yeah, well, uh, I can just give you the uh, example of how I got this job. Um, I, like I said, I had had enough. And so I, I contacted them multiple times right away. I had Mark Phillip contact them multiple times. And then one thing that I did is I put together a training manual, a kind of a four-year deal where I said, um, this is, this is kind of how I look you know, from top to bottom. And, and it looked pretty nice. You know, I, I, uh, I actually used the university's resources quite a bit and almost dried those out. Um, once I, uh, got the interview, um, 
I found out there's a lot more people there than what I printed. And so I had to go spend probably, I think, $250 at a print shop to print some more. And once I got in, you know, to the interview, I handed them out. Um, one of the other things that I did was uh, I did a lot of research on who was interviewing me once I found out who was going to be in the room. You know, I found out there's, uh, we had one, it was kind of a round table interview and we had athletic directors in one room, coaches in another room, and then the head honchos in the third room. And so I did research on every single person and wrote it down. And so, I, you know, I was able to get a little personal. Sometimes I found out that my current boss had done um, a series of coaching videos way back in the day. And I got them from a library. They were on VHS. And uh, she lasts to this day because uh, um, she hasn't been able to find a VHS player to watch them in our district. So she hasn't gotten to watch them since. But, uh, those, you know, those are just some of the things that I, I had not done before. And I had probably three or four interviews before that, um, all of which I failed at because, you know, I just kind of thought that me would carry me and it, it, that didn't happen. So um, those are just a few other examples of, you know, how I got this job. And I think if, you know, on the, uh, the just being, you know, clean and up front, uh, I wasn't even, you know, one of the first choices for the job. There was a couple other people that decided to turn the job down first. So realistically, that wasn't even enough. I just kind of uh, got lucky on that end. But I think that's a good, I, I think that's another key example of, of one thing I actually want to highlight that you didn't do, um, which is good that you didn't do this because I see this too much. Like, let's classify it like this. The old way when people are looking for positions is this. I sent resumes, I send an email, or they send a text to somebody that they probably haven't talked to in a really long time, but that they think can help them or that they consider as a name in the industry. And they're like, hey, looking for a position, know anybody with an opening? And here's the problem with that. You're assuming that person is paying attention to the jobs that are available. That person's focused on their job, you know? And so, and I think that was a pet peeve of mine because, you know, last year, and it's well-intentioned, so I'm not making fun of people. I'm just trying to teach lessons that I think are important for coaches to realize. And, you know, I wish I would have realized in, in highlighting mistakes. Whenever I get somebody that's like, hey, Brett, currently applying to this job or that job, you know, like, do you know anybody looking for any or can you serve as a reference? Well, there's two things wrong with that. One, in this instance, I hadn't talked to this person in two years. So I have no idea what they're doing now. I have no idea where they're at. And then they ask for a reference. When it's been two years, again, I don't know anything you're doing. Maybe the time we met each other, maybe we met each other for coffee. Maybe we met, maybe you interned for four months, you know, whatever. But like, I don't think people think that through. I think, you know, you need, and, and I usually tell people like, listen, I'm happy to serve as a character reference. You know, like if I, if I know you and have met you and what have you, but like, I don't think you want me serving as a coaching reference because I haven't seen you coach and I will tell them that, you know, but it just, it, it really bugs me. And I know it bugs a lot of other coaches where people think that networking is, let me rephrase it another way. Most people looking for jobs don't build relationships until they need them. That's not how networking's done. You need to network and build an authentic relationship beforehand by providing value to others first, reciprocity, before you ask for something. Here's another thing. Everybody listening has at least one person in their phone book uh, if you've coached 5, 10, 15 years, you have one person in your phone book that every time they reach out to you, they're asking for something. Literally almost every time. Matt, do you have anybody like that in your phone book or anybody that you you uh, 
that you've worked with that could relate to that? Have you ever worked with anybody that every time they reach out to you, it's always when they need something? Uh, oh yeah. I think you were once that person for me. So I mean, I appreciate you uh, telling me to stop. It. Oh, you mean I reached out to you and I needed no, something? No, no, no. The other way around. The other way. Oh yeah. But I mean, that was different. You added a lot to my life, right? Like you, you would check in, you remember my wife's name, you would, uh, you, we would have conversations and, and you were somebody that I took a, a special interest in being one of my first interns, right? So like you, you are not an example of that. I'm talking about people that just boom, boom, boom. It's, it's, can you do this? Can you reach out to that person? Can you reach out to that person? People that mean well, but meaning well only gets you so far in a world that is largely run by perception. Yes. It's like, you need to make it easy for the other person to help. Don't expect somebody to drop everything they're doing and start reaching out on your behalf when they're not up to speed on what you're doing. And you probably haven't talked to in a right. couple of years, right? Like send a polite email with your resume, cover letter, references, and links to videos of you coaching. Make sure you work on your interview skills. Pay attention to questions people ask you and stuff like that. You know, They'll tell you a lot about what the position is and the value. Go visit them if you haven't heard from them. If you if you if they if they're out of state and you can't visit them, save money. If the again people for Airbnb can be in th- tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt and go to the store and create custom you know boxes and stand outside the Democratic National Convention, you can probably save three hundred dollars for a plane ticket. You can scratch and claw for that, and then be ready on the spot. Like I know that's the most important thing to me. Like somebody's got to be ready on the spot, and I and I can't say this loudly enough. I would never, ever, and this is just me. So a veteran coach, you can shun me, blacklist me, call me out on social media. I welcome it. I would never at this point hire any coach that does not have a mutual interest in coaching, business, and mentoring. Because you need to understand not just the art of coaching and the science of coaching, you need to understand the business of coaching. And if you're in the team side, that means you need to understand contracts, the realities, the ugly politics. If you're on the private side, that means you need to understand that this job is not just on the floor coaching and what have you, that, you know, you're going to have to, you're, you're, you have to do a lot of outreach and education. You have to bring people in and convince athletes that have been sold hogwash your whole life, why they need to train there. You need to understand how to invoice. You need to understand legal aspects about what you do, especially as it pertains to you know, protecting yourself and, and your organization from liability, you know, should an athlete stub their toe when they walk in the door. And I just don't, I, I think that's a huge gap too. I think people not understanding a combination of training business and what it means to be a mentor. Like I know, I no longer need that. And so, and I've, I've tried to find a polite way to say that now when people reach out and they're like, Hey, can I come, you know, intern or shadow? I'm like, by all means, anybody can, can always come shadow me. You know, but like, I, I don't know that I accept interns anymore unless they have a three pronged interest, because I think that you're going to need that in this field going forward. Now, I don't want confirmation bias. Matt, have there been times, yes or no? And, and again, be completely honest. Do you feel like you've learned a little bit more about whether it's business aspects, legal aspects, this all kind of fits under that administrative umbrella? Did you have to learn any more about that stuff or does that, is that stuff you still don't really have to worry about whatsoever? Oh uh, yeah, no, that's uh we, we deal with that every day. Um, like I said, we're looking at multiple different budgets. We're looking at, you know, with all the people that we work with, all the, everyone has these great ideas all the time. Um, we're constantly getting bombarded from salespeople. Um, there's, you know, coaches that reach out and they're like, Oh, is this, you know, training mask a good thing? I think I want to buy a few. And it's like, 
well, I don't really know anything about it. My, my gut instinct is to say, hell no, but let me go ahead and do a little bit of research on it and find out about it. And I'll let you know, you know, type of thing. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it was just a crash course for me. Like I said, I, I, I was woefully underqualified for this job and I had to do a lot of learning, uh, as I went. And that's not something that, like you mentioned, that I really expected I would have to do, but it, it's been great for me and I, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I, I, like I said, I look back on these, all these fears that I had and I was like, man, I was like, this is, this is where I should have gone right away. And then there's, I mean, there's people in every state now that are high school strength and conditioning coaches and they're, they're great people. And they're trying to, it's almost like a collective goal among high school strength coaches to try to put a high school strength coach into every high school. It's funny. Everybody you talk to is always talking about, Hey, how can we do this? How can we follow up athletic training and get people in the high schools? And, you know, so there's some, there's some great opportunities out there. And I think that, you know, it's, there's simple ways to reach out to coaches and find out more. So, so the inevitable question I'm going to get now and, and, or that are, is going to be in people's minds and rightfully so is when you say there's great opportunities out there, where can they learn about these opportunities? If somebody's listening right now and they're really struggling to have a job and, you know, they're kind of coming around to the idea that maybe they shouldn't just apply to, to only NBA teams or that they shouldn't only be focused on working with MLS teams or the best of the best, you know, uh, in their mind, you know, if, if they are really serious about getting a job. If they're really serious about helping people, if they're really serious about building a skill set and that they understand that fear and risk focus you and that they need to seek purpose and not prestige, where can they learn more about some of these opportunities? Where can they go right now today? Um, you can go to, there's a, there's a couple of organizations, obviously the NSCA, but also the NHSSCA, which is the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association. They're, they're kind of newer. Can you repeat that too, just because that's a mouthful and there's some people driving listening to this? Um, the National High School Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, I don't have any direct affiliation with them, but they, they're doing some good things. They're putting on clinics and that's that's where I was going to go with this is um, especially the smaller clinics that are around. Every state has multiple ones, multiple times a year. Um, and a lot of these high school coaches, not just high school strength coaches, but high school sport coaches that are the type of people you want to get to meet because they're the type of people that want to learn more and try to make their teams and their situations better. And so those places are great places to go meet people and then get your foot in. And that, you know, those are some things that I, I didn't always do. Um, and I didn't do a good job of following up. That would be the second part is as soon as you meet the person, find out where they're from, say, Hey, yeah, I'd like to come out sometime. You know, like you said, you have to actually go do it. And, uh, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll make sure and put these links in the show notes. So again, um, the one that Matt referenced, if you do just happen to have a pen handy, but again, look at the show notes is N H S S C A dot U S that's a national high school strength and conditioning association. It's kind of like shield. If there's any Marvel fans out there, it's like strategic homeland intervention, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it's a mouthful, but um, you get, you can look at NSCA, NHS, SCA, guys, there's job boards all over the place. I mean, and, and I'm not trying to be rude, but I think we've got to get over Google syndrome. We have a lot of people that just are, Hey, where can I find information about how to get into the field? Google that, you know? And so find, reach out to a friend, reach out to a friend of a friend, go to a local high school, visit the strength coach, ask him how he got his job. You got to do some due diligence. And 
I think we've been taught to think in 140 characters or less. Um, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Europe recently for work. And we're looking at churches and, and structures that were built. And they were saying that these, these structures sometimes took 300 years to build, to finish. That's older than our country here in the United States. And I find it fascinating that we had a, a, a team, there were a team of people or a collective of artists that would spend 50 years, literally 50 years of their life on one sculpture or one project. But we have a group of individuals now that think one year or one resume or even two years of struggling is enough to entitle them to a job. Entitlement is a virus. It's a virus. There's a lot of opportunities and you've got to get out there and, and, and be able to look at these things. Um, and I get that it's scary. I mean, listen, like, and it, it, my stuff's kind of well-documented. I've moved more than 10 times. Uh, you know, I've, I've had unique opportunities that I was scared that I said no to, and I'd never get them again. You need to bet on yourself, but like, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to do that stuff. And it's, it's not going to come easy. Trust me, you would not want it to come easy. But here's the key message. The climate of strength and conditioning is changing. It really is. And if you think that the old way of just knowing somebody and having a friend and doing a resume and having, you know, is enough, it's not. And, and you guys, anybody listening to this and thinks it is, you, you've got to wake up to that. You got people telling you that. So uh, a couple other points I wanted to kind of just pick at you, Matt, you know, is what are some things that you think, you know, going forward, if you want to last, if you want to have a really healthy career in this, you don't want to feel stuck. Obviously, you want to continue to provide for you and Anna, your wife. What are some things that you still need to develop skill set wise and how are you going about that? And I don't mean in the strength and conditioning realm. I mean, as a professional, where are you learning other skills? What skills do you need to hone in on and and what are you weakest in right now and what are you going to do about it? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. Um for me, it's still very much trying to find ways to be vulnerable. Um, and as you mentioned several times, you've got to have some sort of social media presence. And I'm sure you'll ask me later, but like if you're trying to find me, that's that's not a great place to look. And that's something I still have to get better at. I'm always in the back of my mind. I'm like, I could put this stuff out there, but I'm, I, you know, I'm worried about, you know, you know, it's almost kind of selfish. It's like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be laughed at kind of thing. So I'm just going to keep on going about my business. And, um, a lot of that too, is the vulnerability part is just, um, a lot of times I don't get exactly what I want out of a program and it's out of my hands a lot. And I have to let somebody else drive the car and it makes me anxious all the time, but it's one thing that I'm trying to learn and say, you know what, if this person has been around, they've been in the weight room a lot, they've been outside on the track a lot. I'm going to go ahead and let them have some control, have some autonomy in what they're doing and, you know, go forward with that. So that that's kind of my goal this semester is to almost take a step back and not be the overbearing parent and say, you know what, let's let you go ahead and get out there and learn a little bit, learn on the fly and those type of things. So that's all. Yeah, no, it's a good answer. I think, you know, when you think about pain point terms in this profession, you know, things that People either you know bring up a lot or or that cause them anxiety. You think of things like security, family, finances, being stuck, feeling stagnant, burnout, stressed. Uh, will I be able to have any kind of job advancement or opportunity? You know, there's all these above all else. Coaches want to help their athletes at the highest level, no doubt. None of us get it in uh, get in this for the money. Uh, you know, it's a field where it's unique because if we were all billionaires, we'd still want to coach and we identify ourselves as givers, servants, support staff and all that. 
you know, but ultimately what we need to build for ourselves is option value. I mean, option value is that idea that, hey, you know, if we can select career paths that fit or fuse with the family life that we have or want to have, you know, that we don't have to feel like we're stuck in a position that maybe asks you to do anything unethical or, you know, put you in unique situations where your values are, are cannibalized or, or put under the microscope, you know, in, in a weird kind of compromising manner. Like we have to create options for ourselves, And that doesn't happen unless you, you find ways to create unique skill sets. And so it's never about gaining more money. It's about how to gain more control over securing your future. And those are skills that coaches have to learn more. And I think opportunities like the one Matt has where he's got to learn from administrative things. He's got to understand some legalese. He's got to be able to get coaches that are sometimes, what, two, two and a half times your age? Am I right, Matt? Uh, yeah, easily. Well, I don't know about two and a half, but two, two for sure. Two times, yeah, yeah double your age, right? Like, if you think about that, like honing your craft, separating yourself for the right reasons and securing your future should be a three pronged approach we should all be focused on, um, you know, jobs and, and finding more secure jobs that are, are things that we want to do. It's not always going to tick every box. Right. Like that. I think that's another thing that before we sign off is critical for coaches and know, like quit looking for the perfect job. You know, like the, the job you take first isn't going to be the one you're at for a quarter of a century. You know, commit by all means. Like, I don't recommend taking a job for any less than three to five years. Um, you know, I've had jobs that are one year contracts and, and this, that and whatever. But, you know, I was at I think my first full time paying job I was at for over half a decade. I was there six years. And now you have coaches that if it's not what they want within a year, they're gone. Like, what is this college football? The transfer rule, you know, and so. Um, and, and from a networking standpoint, I'll say it again. It's not about who you know, but rather who you help. I'm going to repeat that. It's not about who you know, but rather who you help. Got to reach out to people in, in different settings. I think another piece, Matt, I'd be interested. I think you have this. I think you've done a really good job of this, by the way, is it, it pays to like team up with other coaches that are trying to advance their career for the right reason, like create a, a real life social network, a community, a collaborative entity where you and maybe three or four other coaches who are in the beginning of their career or in a unique stage of their career, because it doesn't have to be the beginning, but people that are really professionally focused on building skill sets and trying to create a unique path, get together with other coaches that are dealing with the same problems and try to figure this stuff out. And again, we're trying to do that with Art of Coaching. Um, the event we host in here in January 19th and 20th is that, and, and I commend the coaches that are coming out for that because I think that's going to be really cool. I'm going to learn a lot from them. But, you know, get together with a community of people and help each other because you're not the only ones going through this. You're not. But, you know, you are at fault if you isolate yourself and expect this just to fall in your lap. It's not going to happen if you isolate it. Matt, are there any other kind of, you know, key and it doesn't have to be a mistake. Are there any other kind of key points or even lessons or learnings that even coaches and and I love Coach Venable. What what has he told you? Could you tell him a little bit about Coach Venable and the things he's seen kind of come and go in the field and any advice that that man or 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 Rob has ever left you with? Like, what are some things that those guys have taught you that you could give and, and might help anybody listening here? Yeah, and uh, both of those guys actually, Rob Brokaw and uh, Stuart Venable, are two guys that I work with. Um, they're doing their, what you said that you think I did a good job. Those guys do a really good job with, I mean, they try of what? get people together, talk about how to solve problems on their own. Um, probably the two biggest things that I've learned from those two is that, uh, it's okay if you don't know it all, you know, and they're, they're trying to seek help. They're, 
they're, they've figured out how to be vulnerable in those situations. And, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for them because they're the type of people that are like, Hey, you know, let's, I think this is a good idea. Let's go do it. And we want everybody that we think is a good fit to be involved. It's not that they're just trying to go do it for themselves. They're really trying to pull the best out of, you know, strength and conditioning and the group that we have out here in Nebraska is a pretty good one in my mind. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a time investment, is it not? I mean, I think, I think here's the thing. I think a lot of people don't do that because again, we have this idea that these things cost. Um, I have a friend that he pays a staggering, I think it's like $500 a month to be a part of a group of professionals. And I'm like, what does that go towards dude? Like $500 a month. He's like, listen, bud, like we, we create resources between each other. Then we share the costs and it's a way for us all to be accountable. He's like, and like, it's, it, it works for them, you know? And, and, uh, but it's crazy because people don't people don't want to even if it's their time get into a group and and say well you know I'm busy I don't have this I don't have that and it's like that's when you only have yourself to blame community and collaboration are key I mean they I heard a stat the other day that says some of the most famous musicians I mean people that whether you like their music or not it doesn't matter Beyonce was one of the ones that they named but some of the most famous musicians credit anywhere from fifteen to 70 artists or collaborators or sound technicians on their album, literally for an album. I mean, you're talking about guys, it doesn't matter the genre, 15 to 70 people are involved with the creation of one album. Genius happens in groups, not in isolation. You've got to invest in that. I mean, what is the time investment? How do, from a tactical standpoint, because this, this podcast is really focused on tactical advice, how do Rob and you and Coach Venable get people together? Like, is it is it a newsletter that goes out? Is it an email chain? What's the accountability like? What, you know, what do you do? Because surely you just don't get in a room together, drink coffee and lament about the world's <laughs> problems. Maybe uh, do. Well, well, we do do that. Um, do do, sorry. Um, but uh, a lot of it is social media. Um, Rob runs multiple clinics throughout the year. Um, something that Stuart and I several years ago, actually, uh, this is a little, a little spot for us. Uh, we created like a community zoom pop almost, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, what Derek does, he does a fantastic one, much better than what we do and with far more qualified people. But, uh, we kind of, you know, every few months we get, uh, who we think is good in in our city and around the state of Nebraska and kind of anybody who wants to join in on, we bring in just somebody that we know. I mean, you did one for us, uh, brought in a buddy from, uh, he's now at Texas A&M, Ben Yeager, you know, just different coaches that have different experiences. And, um, I think Stuart says this all the time where he's like, you can't, you can't always preach in your own neighborhood. Um, and so we're trying to bring some people from the outside that we know are going to reiterate the things that we think are good qualities and let the coaches that are around us hear those from other people at other times. So those are just a few of the ways, but I think most of the connecting happens either through email or through social media. And so let's talk about that for a moment. You said we try to find people who are good, right? Just so that's not ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And I want to know as well, how do you define who's good? Cause that's an argument in and of itself in the field right now where, Oh, how do we prove our value? We have nobody to evaluate us, which, you know, like that's a, that's a completely different topic. But how do you define who is good? Is it by what the the 
the information they share? Is it about them making the most of where they're at and you hear that they're finding really creative solutions uh, to deal with a limited budget? How do you define who is good? Um, well, personally, I always try to look for a mind at work and I know that's pretty ambiguous too, but um, I think that first off, you have to be genuine. Um, I think that is something that we maybe do better than anybody else is our, our core group out here is they're all, all genuine people and that they are, uh, they're not afraid to say what they think. Um, they're not afraid to put people on the spot. Um, so, I mean, those are just some of the few things, but a lot of times they're, they're people that are, are making changes happen either within their school district or with what they're doing. And really nobody's talking about it because they're not seeking necessarily, you know, that's not the reason behind it is recognition, you know? And so I think those are some of the things that we look for whenever we try to uh, get those people to come on. And can, can anybody join that network that, that you guys put on again, if there's somebody listening right now from Spain and they really want to, and I, I'm saying this because I got somebody from a different country the other day that emailed me, you know, and in case that person's listening and I've changed the country they're from, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but let's say there's somebody from Spain and they're like, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about moving to America. You know, I, I'd like to, I'm, I, I want to learn, you know, some different things out there. I want to be involved with different sports and we don't really have, this person actually was interested in the high school setting, which isn't really that mm. developed in certain aspects over there. And so um, can anybody join these things or is it exclusive to, do they have to be in the Nebraska area? Do they have to be a United States strength coach or could somebody even in Australia join this? And if so, how? Yeah. And so, uh, yes, to answer your question, anybody can join. We're not just exclusive. Um, they just look on Twitter is probably the easiest way. What we would, uh, we'll tweet out, you know, for instance, who's we, what's the tag? Um, you could look at Matt underscore Birch. That's B E R T S C H or uh, Coach Venable um, on Twitter or Coach Brokaw on Twitter. and I'll put these in the show notes yeah, as well. Sorry, I, uh, I'm not going to try to spell everybody's name. but um, No problem. Uh, like I said, that's that's just one thing. We'll, we'll pop out and say, hey, you know, Monday night we're doing this at 5.30, you know, Central Time, and then uh, maybe about 15 to 20 minutes before the time slot, we'll pop out a link, and all you have to do is just click on the link, and anybody with a phone – or an earpiece can, can join in. So perfect. Well, guys, you got a lot of options now. I mean, you rewind this episode. We have not only talked about responsible branding to a degree, something we'll expand on in future episodes. We've talked about networking, how to not be a turd when you do that and how to make sure that you lead with value. Uh, we've talked about options that, uh, if they're not answering your resume, well, one, that's your fault. You should, they're probably not even seeing your resume. Um, you know, and, and what you could do. We've talked about videos and, and different ways to solve that. We've talked about communities out there doing great work already. We've talked about entities that you probably didn't even know existed that you can get involved with today. And you can get in touch with people that have been through this. Reach out to coaches. I mean, don't get stuck in this. You need to understand that I have a very good friend and I love him to death. And I don't care if he hears this because he, he, he mentioned it several times. Worked in the NFL a long time. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, yeah, I'd love to work with high school kids. He's like, honestly, the only thing that keeps me from doing it is the paycheck right now. It's just not even enough. But this was somebody that was a little later on in life, right? Like some of you guys that are in your 20s and 30s, like the money, like that can't be, you can't expect a first job that is everything you want it to be. And the high school space is emerging. I think the high school and private sector are the biggest emerging spaces in the field right now. And if you're not looking at them, you're in trouble. That doesn't mean I don't appreciate the team setting. I've said it before in this podcast. 
I've been in the team setting. If the right opportunity came about, my wife and I always keep an open mind. But that isn't that's something that coaches don't seem to be doing today. They don't seem to be keeping an open mind. They're trying to identify themselves with the team, the logo, you know, the gear that they get. Get out there and learn the skill. You owe it to the craft. You owe it to the craft. The craft owes you nothing. Um, if you guys want another opportunity, we are now creating the artofcoaching.com private Facebook community. It is a subscription community. It's 10 bucks a month. It requires investment because there's an investment of the time of everybody that's taken to create that, to be involved with that. And it's not a free handout world we live in. So, um, you know, there's people that want to bitch and will say like, oh, that's part of a business thing, whatever. You know, listen, everything we do in this world is a business. You, everybody, I don't care if you've worked for the same team for 25 years, that's a business and they have an agenda. And the minute they want you out, you will be out. So you better learn about the politics. You've got to invest in yourself. I know I'm taking a hard tone right now, but that's because there needs to be a semblance of accountability. If you want to join the artofcoaching.com community, send an email to info at artofcoaching.com. Again, that's info at artofcoaching.com. Please do not send an, in, uh, uh, an inquiry unless you want to be involved, unless you want to ask questions, unless you want to be vulnerable, unless you want to engage. We, we do not bias. I don't care if you're 19 years old and still trying to find out your way or you've done this for 40 years. We want to hear your voice. There are no dumb questions other than ones where, you know, people ask something that they didn't know they did no research on to begin with. So please don't say, hey, guys, how do I become a strength coach? <laughs> you can Google that. Right. But uh, we want people involved. Matt's going to be involved with it, too. And uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for your time. You know, this is a lot of effort. And uh, we put you on the spot with a lot of tough topics, but you are somebody that's really a prime example of somebody that I think has taken pride by the wayside and taken a lot of risks. And you have created a truly special circumstance for yourself. Just so everybody knows, as we close off, Matt, do they do they give you any kind of ancillary benefits with that job? Do you get a 401k? Do you get any kind of health insurance, anything like that? Yep. It's, it's full, full benefit. Full so. benefits guys. So again, like what do you want to do? You want to keep chasing logos and things like that, that you think are going to give you instant credibility, or do you want to build unique skill set, help people that are at the beginning of their developmental journey and have full benefits? Something that, I mean, it may sound weird to anybody that's in banking law, you know, finance, any, any other profession, um, strength and conditioning coaches don't get full benefits. I didn't, I don't think I had any benefits until, I was 28 and now that I'm self-employed, you know, I pay for my own benefits. I don't have a, a company 401k or a company match, you know, but um, I'll tell you what, I have the freedom to do these things and I could write a book and stuff that other jobs wouldn't allow me to do. So you need to find your own path. There is no right or wrong way. There's just your way and the way that fits with you in your lifestyle. Matt, I want to thank you again. Anything else you want to say in closing, brother? No, I just appreciate it. No doubt. Guys, you'll be able to reach Matt and everybody else that we've mentioned on this podcast through the show notes. Any questions, go to artofcoaching.com. And if you like this podcast, please leave a review. We're available on Spotify and iTunes. Thanks again, buddy. Talk to you soon. Yep. See ya. See ya.